You know, as we come together tonight, like Pastor Steve said, you know, we, you know, we all come in and we, we made it here, and that's half the battle, amen? I mean, just getting here is half the battle. You know, good on you for being here. But, you know, sometimes we just need to hear a fresh word from the Lord. Amen? I mean, we need the word, but we need a fresh word. We need him to speak because we need to hear because we got stuff in our lives that we're going through and decisions we're making and pressures from within and from without. And we just need to hear. We need in a general way to hear from God, but we need in specific ways to hear from God. So my prayer has been that for every one of us tonight, we would hear a fresh word from the Holy Spirit, from his word to our hearts. Amen. Let's pray for that right now. Father, we ask you, well, first of all, we thank you. And that, Lord, you have given us your word, and it's with a healthy respect and awe that we come to it tonight. Lord, we know it's not like any other book in, on the earth. It's different. It's living and powerful. And Father, we, we just want to ask that your Holy Spirit would take your word and A, you give us an understanding of what it even says and means, but then it would like transcend that and become real in a way that only your Holy Spirit can make it real. Lord, there'd be some word, some scripture would just jump off the page and hit us right in the heart, right where we need to be touched. And I just ask for that. It's not something I can do. It's just a work of your spirit. So Lord, we ask and invite you to just have your way in this, this, this room tonight. For the glory of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, we're going to be, Lord willing, finishing up a section within the book of Exodus that we started a few weeks ago they're at the end of chapter 20, somewhere around verse 22, that carries all the way through uh, chapter 24, which hopefully that's the goal tonight, is to finish chapter 23 and, tw and all of 24, dealing with this section that's been kind of nicknamed the Book of the Covenant. And the reason it's called that is because that's the actual phrase that we'll hopefully see tonight if we get to chapter 24, verse 7. And what's happened is, is that after the children of Israel camped at... Mount Sinai, they're still there actually. Um, God gave the Ten Commandments. He like audibly bellowed down the Ten Commandments from the top of Mount Sinai. And the people were so scared and they, they basically said to Moses, you go up to the top of the mountain and hear from God, bring back what he says, whatever he says, we're going to do it. And that's kind of where we are. Moses is back up on the mountain and he's receiving um, for lack of a better word, like an elaboration, interpretation of the Ten Commandments, kind of breaking it down into daily life, how the judges and the elders were to kind of delve out uh, justice and, and make decisions based on the given Ten Commandments. And we saw that God is, was dealing with all kinds of social issues, justice issues, uh, relationship issues, and um, he's still giving those statutes, rules, what have you, to Moses at this time. Now, um, tonight, though, as we pick it up, and by the way, we're in chapter 23, verse 20. Um, from, the, from verse 20 to the end of chapter 23, this section, uh, while Moses is up on the hill, kind of ends with a promise. From chapter, or excuse me, verse 20 to the end, he's basically giving this promise. Now listen, this is huge. That the children of Israel are going to make it to the promised land and that they're going to have victory and they're going to go in to the land that God had promised. Amen? So that's kind of what we're looking at. And, 
kind of, and, I, and I, I know I do a lot of introductions sometime. I'm trying to get better at not taking too much time on that. But I really think it's important in this case to kind of understand what we're talking about. Um, it was always God's plan, listen, to not only bring his children out of Egypt, but to take them into the promised land. You guys with me on that? The goal was not simply to get them out of Egypt. The end game was to get them in to the promised land. Remember, 400 plus years earlier in the Abrahamic covenant, God told Abraham that he was going to give a, just make a whole new nation from Abraham's descendants. Part of that promise was he was giving them real estate, the land of Canaan. Uh, Israel, we would know it as today, but as we'll see again tonight, the borders of that are actually much larger than what they present day possess. But the point is, God is saying, I'm giving you a land, and, and when you, you're going to go to Egypt for 400 years, but I'm going to eventually bring you back here. That's what's happening. They've been brought out of slavery, amen? And now God's preparing them, and the whole goal is to get them into that land flowing with what? Anybody remember what it, how it's described milk and honey which is just another way of saying it's flourishing it's fruitful it's wonderful that was god's design that was god's plan that's what god is going to do now again by way of just kind of priming the pump here there's some great spiritual lessons for us as we go through this next section that i just want us to kind of keep in mind because listen what's happening physically what happened historically, materially, nationally to the nation of Israel has for us spiritual implications. Does that make sense? Remember in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 10, God was basically saying that the things that happened to the nation of Israel serve as types and figures to illustrate spiritual principles for us in the new covenant. That was a mouthful, but, but basically all these things that happened to them have lessons for us for example and we've talked about this one a lot but for example egypt for us becomes a type or a picture of slavery to sin right and just as they were enslaved physically every one of us were enslaved to our sin and just like they were delivered because of a substitutionary lamb that died for them we have been de delivered out of spiritual slavery by a substitutionary lamb the lamb of god jesus who died in our place amen and the pictures and the typology just keep flowing. So what's important is, listen, the question arises, well, if, if the promised land is a picture, what does it picture? If God's goal was not only to get them out of the slavery of sin, but take them into the promised land, what is the promised land, are you guys tracking with me, picture for us in New Testament thinking? And some have suggested that the promised land pictures heaven. And I get that, and I appreciate that. And we are going to heaven, Amen. How many of you guys are ready to go to heaven? I mean, not like right now. I mean, I wasn't setting you up for anything. We're not going to drink any Kool-Aid or what have you, but um, we are going to heaven, and I'm ready for that. But the promised land, listen, is not a, in Bible typology, a picture of heaven. The promised land, listen to this, is so important, is a picture of the, listen, spirit-filled, abundant, victorious life for a believer in Jesus Christ that we are experienced on this side of heaven. You know why it's not a picture of heaven? Because there's battles in the promised land. And you know what? There's battles in this world. How many of you guys know that we're not in heaven because we just fight battles every day? 
There's spiritual warfare. There's things we're dealing with. And so, but here's the thing. God didn't intend for his children to come out of Egypt and wander in the wilderness until they died, though that's what happens with one of the generations. God's intention was to bring them out so that he could bring them in to a land flowing with milk and honey. Listen, there's far too many Christians that have been brought out of Egypt, but they're not living in the promised land. They're living in the desert. They're not experiencing that spirit-filled, abundant, joyful, victorious life that is found in Christ through the Holy Spirit. That's the picture that's being painted here. And, and I've, I've kind of already got excited and showed my hand a lot here. But now with that in mind, let's look at this promise that God busts out at the end of chapter 23. So starting in verse 20, let's read. It says, Behold, I'm going to send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I've prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him. He will not pardon your transgression for my name is in him. But if you certainly, or excuse me, if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversary. So the first thing to note here in this thing where God is saying, I'm taking you into the promised land, the first thing he wants to tell them is that they're going to have an escort. They're going to have a personal escort. He says, I'm going to actually send my angel to go in front of you and to bring you in, and he's going to fight for you, and you need to obey him. And so that would have been a huge comfort. Amen? I mean, they don't know where they're going. They don't know what they're doing. They're just trusting God, and God is reassuring them, saying, in essence, he's saying this, I'm with you. I'm with you. Now, if you're interested in these things, the question kind of arises, who is this angel? As it doesn't expressly say, most people believe, I'm in the camp that, that tends to believe that this angel, and the word angel it just means messenger, generally speaking, um, that this messenger, this angel, is none other than what we call a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. Before Jesus was born as a baby in Bethlehem, we have to remember, he always was, because he's God. And there are times in the Old Testament where the angel of the Lord will appear. Not all the time, but a lot of the times, it's actually the Lord himself. And that's what's happening here, I believe. And, and the reasons for that, by the way, is phrases like this in verse 21 where it says, My name is in him. Also, it talks about the ability to pardon sin or not pardon sin. And as far as you know, I know from the Bible, uh, garden variety angels don't have that say. No offense to the angels that are listening in. But that's a, that's a God thing that can forgive sin. Amen? And so this is basically him saying the Lord is with you. Now, look at verse 23 and 24. When my angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I blot them out, you shall not bow down to their gods nor serve them nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces. Oh, this is so great. Did you notice, by the way, how nonchalant God was talking about? He's like, so when you come to the land, and he calls it the land uh, of the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, Canaanites, all the ites and vites, they're all there. And then he just almost says, like, off the cuff, and I blot them out. I don't want you following after their gods. A couple things that may have kind of hit them when they heard this. Verse 23, he frames it by saying, oh, I'm going to take you to the place I prepared. And when you get there, here's what you're going to find. There's people already there. The Canaanites are there. If I'm going to blot them out, 
In other words, I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to be your captain. I'm going to fight. There's going to be battles. We'll talk more about that in a second. But this is what they needed to understand. Did God have a land promised for them? Yes or no? Was it a good land? Yes. Were there enemies in the land when they get there? Yes. See, this is huge to understand. They're going to freak out later on when they spy out the land and they're like, oh my gosh, the land is awesome. But there's giants and there's walled cities and there's armies and there's all this stuff. God knew that way beforehand. He knew that. And here's what he's basically saying. But the land is your land. I'm, I've already given it to you. It is a done deal. But what he's proclaiming is that when you get to that land, you have to go possess your possession. Does that make sense? I've given it to you, but you have to go take it. There's going to be, I'm not going to, you know, beat around the bush here. There's enemies there. I'm fighting with you. I'm going to help you through this. But you got to know, you got to go take what I've given you. The reason that's important is because, again, if you think about this in our terms as like New Testament believers, it's interesting. First of all, do you guys remember Joshua chapter 1, somewhere around verse 3, and I'm paraphrasing, but God said to Joshua, and by the way, Joshua, if you don't know, is actually the guy who eventually leads them into the promised land. And General Joshua is told, look, by God, everywhere you go in the land, everywhere the sole of your foot goes in the land, I have given it to you. Did you catch that? He says, wherever you go, future, I have given you past tense. I've already given you the land. But Joshua, you've got to go take what I've given you. Now, the New Testament counterpart to Joshua chapter 1, verse 3, is Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, where God declares that in Christ, in the heavenly places, God has already blessed us with all spiritual blessings in Christ. Did you guys catch that? God didn't say, I will bless you. He said, I have already, in Christ, blessed you with heavenly blessings. Not material, physical blessings, heavenly blessings in Christ Jesus. And guys, the, the picture that's being painted here is just like Joshua and the armies had to go take what God had already given to them and there would be resistance in the spiritual life. When you come to know Jesus Christ and you're born again, God has promised to bless you with all spiritual blessings in Jesus, but we have to go and take those by faith. Does that make sense? Judging by your response, that's a no. I'm thinking of an illustration here. You know, when you were living for yourself and you were in sin and I was in sin, our whole lives were dominated by our flesh and by the devil, by the enemy. That's what the Bible teaches, that we were going with the flow of the, of the enemy himself and we are living absolutely for ourselves. When we're born again and given a new nature, we're as born again as we're ever going to get. We're as saved as we're ever going to be. But there is spiritual territory, so to speak, that God wants us to have victory in. There's habits, there's thought patterns, there's sin that we, he wants to give us victory in, there's peace that he wants to give us. Does that make a little bit more sense? And those things are there for our taking in Christ, but we have got to, by faith, lay hold of those things. For example, I, I don't know why, this one just popped into my head um, as I was just praying about this today. Let's just say that you're born again but you still struggle with fear. Maybe fear is just all through your life, just always had a grip on you. Fear of, I don't know, dying or fear of um, uh, financial crash or fear, fear of whatever, fear of anything. But yet the Bible says that God doesn't give us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. And the Bible says that perfect love casts out all fear. 
So here's the choice you got to make. God has already given us that blessing that we don't have to fear, but we're naturally bent towards that. So guess what? There's a battle. Are you going to capitulate and just let the enemy have that area of your life forever? Or are you going to say, no, wait, I'm by faith, not by my strength or my power, but by the power of the Holy Spirit and by faith going to claim the promise of that word and I'm going to grab onto it. And if I have to do that every 10 minutes throughout the day, I'm going to do that. But Jesus said that I don't have to live in fear, so I don't have to live in fear. Amen? Does that make a little bit more sense? There's spiritual territory that the enemy of our souls, whether it be our flesh or the devil, is squatting on, and it's ours by faith in Jesus. And I'm not trying to get all word of faithy, and I'm not trying to get all like whatever, but I'm just saying we so often are not enjoying the blessings that have already past tense been given to us in Jesus, and we're allowing the enemy to just have those areas of our lives. And the Lord says, hey, when you go, I've blessed you, but you've got to go take it by faith. Amen? So kind of keep that in mind. And, and by the way, I think that there's a couple keys here. He says at the end of verse 23, I will blot them out. There's battles, but we need to understand this. Jesus does the heavy lifting. Amen? It's never my determination, my willpower, my ability that's going to root out deep sin and all this. It's me, but it's yet, it's the Holy Spirit working through me. It, Paul says in Romans 8 that we're to put to death the flesh by the Holy Spirit. And we'll talk more about that, but I don't want to miss some of these other great points. He says in verse 24, um, you shall not bow down to their gods or serve them um, as they do. do. Don't do what they do, but utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces. Listen to this point for a second. God knew that when those of his kids went into the promised land, and they were getting victory over the Canaanites of all the different ites and stuff that we read about, that they would have a propensity to be enamored with the way that those Canaanites worshipped and the way that their idols looked, and they probably looked so cool, and some of the worship practices were so appealing. And basically God says, don't get sucked into that. He's going to say it again later. It's going to be a snare to you. When you come in, don't worship like they do you are to absolutely and what's the word he uses there i like it overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces smash them get rid of them do not let any of that stuff remain in this discussion about laying hold of the spiritual territory that god has for us you know when you come to faith in jesus christ right off the bat i believe that there is things that the lord says overthrow those things completely right now there's going to be some things right off the bat. You know, Pastor Steve talked about the liberties that we have in Christ and all of that. It's a wonderful truth. But some of us know that we don't have liberty to do certain things. And the Holy Spirit right off the bat says, this is a stumbling block for you. This is a worldly way of thinking or, or doing. So you obliterate it. Listen, this is the key. Obliterate it. <laughs> If it's alcohol, you dump it out. You don't socially drink. If you have a problem with alcohol, you absolutely get rid of it. If it's drugs, you flush it and you delete all your dealer's numbers out of your phone. You get a new phone. You take your phone and you put that in the toilet too. You understand what I'm saying? If it's, if it's pornography, you, just, you get rid of those sites. You get rid of the internet if you have. You, there's things you cut off. You know, back in the day when we, we had these things called tapes, and they had music on them. There was two reels, really, and they would go through a player. You guys, anybody remember cassette tapes? Dude, I got saved. I had my quiet riot tape. 
I had my Van Halen tapes. This one, some of you guys won't even know this one. Oingo Boingo. Anybody remember Oingo Boingo? Come on. And you know what? I had them all. And you know what? It wasn't like the church guy was saying, you need to get rid of this. The Holy Spirit was saying, I don't like the influence of the music in your life. I'm not telling everybody else to do this. Jason, I'm telling you to do this. Get rid of all that music. You know what I'm saying? We fight unnecessary battles. We lose unnecessary ground sometimes because we just keep things hanging around when we know that the key is to just get rid of it completely. I know it's not always that easy. I know that even when you get rid of it, sometimes it comes back and there's a back and forth struggle. But I'm telling you, a key is when the Holy Spirit puts his finger on something that's got to go, you just get rid of it completely. You don't call that person ever again. You cut off that relationship. You do what you've got to do. You burn those books. You don't sell them at a garage sale and give that poison to somebody else. Burn it. Chuck it. Do you understand what I'm saying? So he says, guys, when you get in the land, handle business. Get rid of it. Verse 25. This is great. He says, and you shall serve the Lord your God and he will bless you. He will bless your bread and your water. I will take the sickness away from among you. None shall miscarry or be barren in the land. I will fulfill the number of your days. I will send my terror before you, and I will throw into confusion all the people whom you, uh, uh, against whom you shall come, and I will make all your enemies turn their back on you, and I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivites and the Canaanites and the Hittites from before you. Now let's just pause there for a second. From verses 25 through 28, what's the principle here? He says, serve the Lord, obey him, and he says, and I am going to bless you. The, 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 the principle is this. There's a blessing attached to obedience. Amen? Now here's where, by the way, and I need your ears to perk up a little bit, because here's where some Christians get into trouble. Some Christians forget that these specific promises were to Israel. The blessing of food and water and that there wouldn't be any sickness and their crops and their victories over their enemies was talking to the nation Israel and those were physical needs and physical blessings. Now I'm not saying that if we don't obey God, God doesn't bless us with physical stuff sometimes. He does. But there's this wrong teaching out there. It's called replacement theology and you've probably heard it. It's very subtle and it basically it goes like this, that the church has replaced Israel. So therefore, all of the blessings that were promised to Israel are now there for us as the church. And so you get pastors and you get, you know, TV programs and stuff, and they say, listen, you're going to have money, and you're gonna, no one's going to get sick, and you'll never get sick, and you'll always be healthy, because if you obey God, that's what's going to happen. That is absolutely taking the Bible out of context. That's not correct. These promises for the nation Israel for that dispensation at that time, they were physical, they were material, they were national blessings. And so we can't claim it. It's funny, all those who like love to just TBN it up and like claim, get all like namey claimy and blessings and all that stuff, they love to grab those promises of blessings and no sickness, but they never grab onto the curses. Cracks me up. Hey, if you're going to get a little bit of it, you got to take it all, right? If you want to replace, you can't replace half, you got to go all in. But anyways, but having said that, it is still true that when you obey God, there's blessing attached to that. When you obey God, he blesses you. It may or may not 
manifest in a physical blessing. It may or may not. But I can tell you this. God has blessed me in physical and financial ways when I honor him. That, that just happens sometimes. It doesn't, I don't hinge it upon that, but he does. You know when you handle your finances like God tells you to hand, handle finances? Generally speaking, there's, there's going to be some blessing financially attached to that because God's smart when it comes to money. Amen? Relationships. When you honor God, I, I've done a lot of weddings, and I've, a lot of times people will come to me, and I'll, I'll ask them, so are you, are you guys living together? And they'll kind of hang their heads, yeah, we're sleeping together, we're in this thing. I say, okay, well, there's forgiveness for that, but you need to understand something, that the Bible teaches that you're to wait to have sexual intercourse until marriage, and that God will honor that within the marriage context, but outside the marriage context, it's not only dishonoring to God, but you're actually hurting your relationship. And he explained, and there's been so many times where couples have repented and they said, you know what? We're going to honor God in this and you can just see the blessing upon their relationship. Amen? And the, the, the reverse is true. You, say, you get those who say, well, I don't really care what God says about how to handle stuff like that. I'm going to do it my way. And guess what? There's, God's not blessing disobedience. You know, do, you, do you bless disobedience with your kids? Hopefully not. If you eat all that, I'll give you some ice cream after dinner. You don't eat any of it. Oh, here's some ice cream. Still, well, once in a while you get gracious and you still do that. But, but by and large, we don't, we don't, we don't reward disobedience as parents, generally speaking. And nor does God. I believe that's the principle. Is that is that track? You guys understand? So anyway, all that to say is there's these blessings were attached. You got to keep moving. He talks about sending hornets. The, the idea there is he's going to literally like intervene and help them. They're not going to have to fight by themselves. Now check, this is a great one. Verse 30, this is very comforting. Little by little I will drive them out from before you until uh, you have increased and possessed the land. I'm not going to set, um, verse 30, let me just pause at verse 30. Little by little I'll drive them out from before you until you have increased and possessed the land and I will set your border um, I'm just going to pause there. Oh, I, I skipped the verse. Excuse me. That's why I wasn't reading correctly. Verse 29. Thanks for your patience. I will not drive them out from before you in one year. There we go. Lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little, I'll drive them out from before you until you've increased and possessed the land. So what's the principle here? He says, look, I'm going to bring you to the land. There's going to be battles. You have the victory. I'm going to help you destroy their stuff. All these have great applications for us. And then he says, but know this, it's not going to happen in one year. It's not just going to be, in, you're not going to go into the land and in one year just have possession of the whole land. It's going to be little by little. In fact, it took them at least seven years when you put all the pieces together in Joshua, seven years to go in and then up and down and break the back of the Canaanite people. And even in after that, there were pockets of resistance all throughout the land. But it took them seven years. And guys, spiritually speaking, listen. Be encouraged. God's helping you. God has promises for you. God has a plan for you. God wants to give you victory. It doesn't happen overnight. Amen? It's a process. You know, sometimes we're so quick to just be discouraged. You're like, I don't understand what's going on, bro. I've been saved for like six weeks, and I still struggle with this. You're like, you have no idea. <laughs> I heard somebody put it like this today. It cracked me up. I was listening to the teaching, and I heard a guy say it like this. He's like, you know, when you're born again, you're a brand new baby, and you're like a, a, like a baby baby. And you ever seen a baby come out the chute? They're not cute. They're not. We say they are, but they're not. And it, this is how we put it. They look like what they just went through. 
They look like what they just went through. 14 hours of labor. They're bruised and bloody and wrinkly and squished, and they got afterbirth all over them and juices and stuff, and they need to be washed off and cleaned up and hosed off and all that stuff, clipped and trimmed and everything. Then they're cute, but they don't come out super cute. You know, they're just, and they're like, oh, picture, you know, we take pictures, but we're like, oh, you had a lizard. Congratulations, you know, whatever. But, but guys, spiritually speaking, when we're born again, we're alive, we're children of God, but we're kind of a mess sometimes too, amen? And God, over time, cleans us up, washes us off, and we grow and we become more like him, amen? That's a horrible analogy. I'll probably never use it again, but it just cracked me up because I heard it today. It just made me laugh. Guys, listen. It's little by little. You know, when you first get saved, God makes it very clear some things in your life where you're just like, oh man, that's got to change, that's got to stop, and he gives you victory over things. But how many of you guys have learned a year, two years, 10 years, 27 years down the road where God has just changed you and given you victory, all of a sudden, you'll see that there's another front that you didn't see it before. And God was gracious not to show you that that was an area that he's wanting to work on. I'm so glad, I've said this so many times in my life, I am so glad that God doesn't show me all at once all the stuff that needs to be changed in my life. i just die on the spot because I wouldn't be able to handle it. He's so gracious. He helps us through one area, gives us a breath, and you get through that area and he's like, oh, and by the way, now that you have really kind of conquered that anger issue, we need to talk about gossip. I don't gossip. Really. You know what I mean? In which, okay, you, now that you're not using foul language anymore and telling dirty jokes and listening to dirty jokes, I got an area that I want you to, um, I need you to do, and he, gives, and he shows you something else. And your immediate response is, I am horrible. I can't change that. And, and he goes, I know, I know, but I can help you. And this just, hey, guys, be encouraged. This happens until the day we die. But guess what? One of my life verses, Philippians 1.6, being confident, of this very thing, that he who has begun the work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Amen? He's not going to give up on you. I know you may be frustrated with yourself. You may be feeling like two steps forward, three steps back. God's not going to give up on you. God's going to see you through, and you're going to close your eyes in death and open them up in life, and you're going to be like Christ. He's going to bring that work to a completion. How do you know? He invested the blood of his son into your life. He's not giving up on you halfway. Amen? That's a word for somebody. Just be encouraged. It's little by little, bit by bit, piece by piece. So it goes on now in verse 30. Um, 31 actually says, And I will set your border from the Red Sea, so that would be like the southern eastern tip of the Red Sea, uh, to the Sea of the Philistines, and that would be the Mediterranean because they were on the coast there, from the wilderness to the Euphrates River. And you will drive them out from before you. By the way, there's other portions of Scripture that give more detail about these boundaries. But just suffice it to say, it's a huge chunk of land that God gave Israel. Far up into what we would call um, Lebanon, far south to the tip of Egypt, into the Red Sea, far east over into modern-day Syria and Iraq, all the way to the Mediterranean Sea is the land that God gave to Israel. And we know from their history, or maybe you don't know, they never actually possessed all the land that God gave them. 
Oh, man, it just popped into my head. I, forgive me for not, I didn't look it up because it just popped into my head. But there's a verse in Joshua where God basically tells Joshua, how long before you go, and I'm paraphrasing, and possess the land that I've given you? God's given us so much, and it's like we barely put our big toe into the, into the pool. And he's saying, man, I've got so much more. I was talking to my wife about this tonight. God's been stirring my heart. I don't want to live a sub-Christian life. I'm not, trying about, I'm not talking about trying harder and striving or anything like that. I'm just saying, what if we lived lives that the Bible described? What if we actually walked and stepped into all the promises God had? What would that look like? And why can't it happen for me? And why can't it happen for you? Because the same Holy Spirit that filled up Paul is the same Holy Spirit that's in you and the same Holy Spirit in me. And I'm kind of tired of low living. I'm like, Lord, I want to walk in the, these things. And I can't do it in my own strength, but, but you can do it. Lord, take me deep into the land that you've got for me. Amen? Lord, help us. And then lastly, and this is kind of piggybacking on another verse he said. He said, um, you shall make no covenant with their gods. They shall not dwell in your land lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, I will surely, it will surely be a snare to you. So he told them to obliterate their idols. But then he says, and this is huge, he says, when you get into that land, don't cohabitate with them. Destroy them. Now, we could talk about a lot of people have issues with God ordering the extinction of people groups. That's a whole other discussion. But the point is, he says, it's not going to work for you to get in there and just decide, you know, just kill the strong ones and let the weak ones live. Get rid of all of them. Spiritually speaking, it's the same for us, guys. The most dangerous thing we can do, listen, this is for somebody I believe too, is to learn to live with sin. You know what I mean by that? Oh, you get victory in other areas, but there's that couple of those pockets that are just kind of trouble areas for your life. And this thought maybe subtly pops in, I'm always going to be like this. I'm always going to struggle with this thing. And I would say, no. That's a lie from the pit of hell. You know what the children of Israel did to their shame? Read the book of Judges. It is just this, this catalog of their failures. They didn't drive out these guys, but they taxed them. They didn't drive out these guys, but they lived with them in the mountains. They tried to live with the enemy instead of destroying the enemy, and that is always a mistake that we make when we have one foot in and one foot out, or we subtly think, oh, I guess I'll never get victory, I'll never change. No, that's not true. Amen? Somebody in here is sleeping with the enemy. <laughs> You're, you, you've kind of, you've just kind of decided this area of my life, it, it, it's just too hard, never get past it, so I'm just going to learn to live with it, and we're doing okay. Here's the lie. Satan wants us to believe that we can kind of keep sin under control. We can keep our thumb on it. I, you know, it kind of rears its ugly head once in a while, but I got this. You can't control sin. You have to kill it, because eventually it will come and bite your head off. It's like a centipede. I hate them. I woke up this morning and I looked out and the lights weren't even on and I looked out and I saw this shadow that big on my floor and it wasn't moving and I was like, it had to move to get to where it is now because it wasn't there when I went to bed. I turned the light on and it looked dead. But I, do you guys trust dead centipedes? There, somebody told me earlier, they're zombies. They come back to life. So I got a kitchen knife and... I poked it, 
And sure enough, homeboy came back to life. And then he became like 12 centipedes. So I just chopped him to death. But anyways, why did I use that as an analogy? Oh, um, because that's how, that's kind of like sin. Another analogy, I, I saved this story. I don't have it for you to read it, but I just, I have it on my phone actually. I, I saw this story on Fox News probably three months ago, and I just, I just saved it because it, it, it was just so illustrated the point. A Czechos, this isn't funny actually, a Czechoslovakian man was mauled to death because he was illegally housing a tiger at his house. It became his pet, and it's got this picture of him like, oh, little kitty cat. If its head is bigger than your body, it's not a little kitty cat. It's a killing machine, right? But he thought, oh, I know it's a wild animal and all that, but I can control it, and we, are, we have an understanding. But there came a day when the cat got hungry and killed him and mauled him to death. That's what we do when we have pet sin. That's what we do when we think, oh, I can control this tiger, this or this thing, and I'll keep it suppressed. It's just a matter of time before that thing mauls you to death. Amen? And, and I, I have a feeling, I don't say this lightly, I have a feeling this is a word of warning for somebody here tonight, that you are playing with a tiger. And the word of the Lord for you tonight is repent. And that's not with a mean, shaking finger. It's like, this is your opportunity. Don't play with Get rid of it tonight. Because you can't control it. It will come back, and it will bite you, and it will kill you. Amen? I so desperately wanted to get through chapter 24. <sighs> so let's do it. Chapter 24. Then he said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar, and Moses alone shall come up near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the Lord shall not, uh, and the people, excuse me, shall not come up with him. So he's up there, and he's sending him back down, and he says, come back up with the guys. Verse 3, and Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules, and the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning. He built an altar at the foot of the mountain, 12 pillars, according to the 12 tribes of Israel. He sent young men the, uh, of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings, sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins. Half of the blood, he threw it against the altar. Listen, then he took the book of the covenant. There it is. And he read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood, and he threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all his words. Listen, then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. Probably the idea there is not that they saw him face to face because Exodus goes on to say later, no one can see God and live. But most people think it was like a vision of the Lord. And um, it says under his feet, the pavement was like sapphire stone, like very heaven for clearness. And God did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and they ate and drank. When it says that God did not lay his hand on them, it means he didn't kill them. That's what it means. I just want to quickly summarize this portion real quick. This is the ratification, if you would, the inaugurating of the actual covenant 
between God and the children of Israel. This is actually a really important piece of their history. He comes down off the mountain, verbally tells them all that God said, and their response was, absolutely, we got this. Then he writes it down in the book of the law, reads it to them, and their response was, we got this. And so then what does he do? He makes 12 altars. He sacrifices the animals, takes the blood, sprinkles it on the altars, takes the other blood. And this is interesting. Only time you see this is he sprinkles the blood on the people. And what that was, guys, was it was like the contract has been signed in blood, so to speak. They were now agreeing to the terms of the covenant. And this was like God's people, Israel, at this point in time are now under the law and in this covenant, this what we would call the old covenant, with the Lord. It's fascinating to me that blood was shed right from the get-go. Hebrews 9 says that Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant, but all covenants are inaugurated with blood, just like the old covenant was. And guys, what did they do after the terms were agreed on and blood was shed? They had a meal with God. That's very Middle Eastern. You'd make a covenant with somebody. Isaac did this. Jacob did this. Abraham did this with an enemy or somebody else. And if they wanted peace, you have a meal together. In the Middle East, they still do this. You make up after a fight or something, you have a meal together. It's a peace meal or a covenant meal. So the covenant is ratified with blood. It's inaugurated. And they have a meal together. It's an amazing thing. It it reminds us, doesn't it, if you fast forward to Matthew chapter 26 where Jesus is sitting having a meal with his disciples and he takes the wine and he said, this is the blood of my covenant. Drink this in remembrance of me. As Jesus inaugurated, if you would, the new covenant in his blood. See, all this blood was shed right from the get-go signifying as much as you want to obey the law, you're not going to be able to. It's all going to be on the basis of grace and substitutionary Um, sacrifice for your failures. But Jesus came and he paid for all those with his own blood, amen, and set up a new covenant. And I am going to pause there because, in my opinion, verses um, 12 through the end of the chapter are so rich. Um, It's worth it to me to just take some time uh, next week to look at those. I I don't want to rush through them, and and you guys have already been kind of patient. So, amen. So let's pray, and let's ask the Lord to help us with some of these things. And maybe the Lord spoke to you tonight. Maybe there's an area of, of promise that you want to step into. Maybe you're, you're racked with anxiety, and you're saying, oh, but Lord, I want peace. Or maybe your you're, you're, um, you're, you know, fear keeps coming up. Or maybe there's just a besetting sin that we all have besetting sins. You're not an abnormal Christian if you've got this one area of sin that you struggle with over and over again. Maybe tonight the Lord would just say, I want to help you. I want to give you victory. I want to I fight for you. Maybe the Lord put his finger on something tonight where he says, you've been disobedient and you're, you're expecting a blessing in this area of life, but you're not being obedient to me in my word. Repent. You've got a pet sin over here, and you know what? You need to call it what it is and repent before that thing eats you. It's not that God's mad at you or is going to strike you. It's like that sin will devour you, Right? However the Holy Spirit has spoken to you tonight, I just want to pause for a second and let's let him have that work. Let's not skip out of here real quick and miss what he wants to do. Amen? Let's all stand together, first of all, and then let's just bow our heads and let's pray.
If the Lord tonight in some way or another spoke to your heart specifically about something, no one's looking around, this isn't for me or for anyone else, this is between you and the Lord, I'm going to ask you just to lift your hand up to the Lord. That's an expression of lifting your heart and your soul up to him. It's between you and God. But as a point of just saying, yeah, Lord, I need to move on this, I just invite you to lift your hand up. And in your own words right now, just whisper that prayer. Repent of whatever sin. Receive forgiveness for that. Cry out to God for whatever struggle. Claim a promise. Whatever it is, but you pray it right now under your breath to the Lord. And Heavenly Father, I just thank you for my brothers and my sisters, and we are in this together. Thank you that you have set us free. And thank you, God, that you want to do more in us than we think you do. And Lord, we confess that, Lord, unless you help us, we can't have any kind of victory. We can't walk in victory. We can't walk in your promises. We can't do any of it without your grace, without the power of your Holy Spirit. And so part of our lifting of our hands to you is an acknowledgement, but also a surrender. And we just say, Lord, tonight, would you help us in these areas? Would you fight for us, Lord? Would you help us to take territory? And Lord, forgive us for, for living and being content to just live with the enemy, so to speak. God, forgive us for not going forward in the things of you, but shrinking back sometimes. Lord, we just say tonight, we want all that you have for us. And we don't want to just stay on the outskirts, Lord. We want to go deep into the land, so to speak. I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray for myself. I pray for our church. Lord, we want to know you more. In Jesus' name, amen.